0: This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Good morning. It's so good to be here with you today. And it is an honor for me to be able to introduce to you uh, someone that I consider a friend and a hero. In 1995, I know that's a few years back, uh, I started my undergrad and he was just finishing up um, college and had already been a missionary for two years in Vanuatu, an, an island in the Pacific Oceana. Uh, they served there for 25 years, and four years ago, uh, became the area director for the Assemblies of God for that whole region, which I, I can't say where it all is, but it's Papua New Guinea, Australia, New Zealand, all the islands. If you follow a survivor like me, there was a survivor in Vanuatu a few years back, so they were there. My wife also taught their middle daughter in second grade, so I hope she's, um, she's doing okay now that she's older. No, don't tell Beth I said that, but anyway, um, anyway, just they, they, missionaries are my heroes, but they Brian has always, every time I've heard him preach, and I, I know that's going to be the same today, uh, has always been a challenge to me to make sure that I'm uh, doing what God has called me to do and to be in, in the will of God, so I know that he'll challenge you today. I want to introduce to you this morning, Brian Webb. Good morning. We are Brian and
1: Renee Webb. God's blessed us with four kids, a daughter in love, simply the world's most beautiful grandbaby. We've served as missionaries for the last 22 years. You may know us as missionaries to Vanuatu, but four years ago we were asked to assume the role of area directors for Pacific Oceana. So allow me to introduce you to Pacific Oceana. It is the world's largest mission field. Pacific Oceana encompasses a third of the Earth's surface. Forty, 23 nations, 40 million people spread out over 30,000 islands, speaking more than 1,000 languages. It is by far the most diverse, complex and isolated mission field on Earth. Pacific Oceana hosts every ism of the religious spectrum. Animism, nominalism, secularism, atheism, Hinduism, Mormonism, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, are all found in Pacific Oceana. Our ministry contexts vary from massive modern cities to tiny jungle villages where the children of cannibals still fearfully worship ancestral spirits. Nearly half of Pacific Oceana's population is under the age of 24. Loss of traditional roles, severely limited futures have led to epidemic levels of depression and teen suicide. In Chuk, one of our nations, one out of every 40 young men will end their own life. Why does such a massive field have only 28 missionaries? In two words, it's hard. And that begs a question, are you tough enough? I remember as a child, listening to a veteran missionary speak. He told of tribes deep in the jungle that remained unreached by the gospel. They were, as Paul described in Ephesians, separated from Christ without hope, without God in the world. I remember him standing in the pulpit weeping as he recalled the days when he had the strength to climb the mountains, slog the jungle trails, and swim the rivers necessary to reach these tribes. I have no idea why it was relevant, but as a little boy I was deeply impressed by the fact that he could lift a Harley Davidson motorcycle over his head that night he wept because his strength had failed before his mission was complete entire tribes remained in darkness yet he physically could not get there he called for strong young men who could trek the trails climb the mountains swim the rivers endure the deprivations and were willing to take on the risk of bold pioneer missions in extreme circumstances. As a scrawny 11 year old boy, probably weighing all of 80 or 90 pounds, I rushed the altar to volunteer. Somehow God chose to favor that little boy. I never did become the strong young man he described that night. I was never athletic, couldn't have dreamed of picking up a motorcycle. In what should have been my best years, I was plagued by a reoccurring illness that left me weak as water for months at a time. Yet with God's help, I trekked the jungle trails, I swam the rivers, I climbed the mountains. I had the incredible privilege of presenting the gospel in truly never-reached villages and seeing the church planted in places where darkness had prevailed for 2,000 years. Yet the task is not complete. Don't don't misunderstand me. This is not the only kind of missionary that we need. There are thousands of modern cities where there's never been a church. I recently saw a map of Thailand marking out 75,000 communities where there's never been a church of any kind. And these cities, they can be reached by any one of you listening to me today. They can be reached with the missionaries who will drive everywhere they drive on a paved road. Live in a modern apartment with all the conveniences of modern life. Yet there remains an unfinished task that will require a different breed of missionary. Across the Pacific there are forgotten atolls far from any airports or seaports. Reaching them will require those willing to brave long sea journeys in tiny boats with little chance of rescue, should things go wrong. Once you arrive, you will sleep on the floor, use an outhouse, eat unrecognizable foods, maybe face persecution. There are tribes deep in the jungles of Papua New Guinea, Solomon Islands, Vanuatu, that will require someone to engage in extraordinary effort just to physically make contact. They live where there are no airports, or roads, or any vestiges of modern life. The trails that lead to their villages will require some of the most intense tropical mountaineering in the world. In order to be in proximity to such tribes, missionaries base in extremely difficult context. Volcanic eruptions, hurricanes, are normal part of the fabric of life for these missionaries. For some, the threat of carjackings, home invasions, simply being at the wrong place at the wrong time as tribal violence breaks out, weighs on them every day. These places call for those willing to pay any price, to endure any hardship, to embrace the risk so that the words of Isaiah 9, 2 can be fulfilled. The people who sit in darkness have seen a great light. This task calls for men and women of courage, faith and tenacity. It will require a significant level of physical and mental toughness. Are you tough enough? Nearly 40 years ago, I rushed an altar, not because of how tough I was, but because urged on by the Holy spirit, my heart leapt at the challenge, the opportunity to risk everything for Jesus. I believe that there are some in this congregation today that your heart leaps at the challenge of going to the hard places. if that's the case, I would ask you when this service is over to meet me in this altar. I want to pray with you. I want to talk to you about what it means to serve in the hard places. Hallelujah. No, guys, if we're going to take this Pentecost thing serious, right? If we're going to take this Pentecost thing serious, it's got to be more than a prayer language and it's got to be more than just power to live our best life now. Well, y'all are excited. I can tell. No, no. I know missionaries are supposed to come and we're supposed to be after your money. Let me assure you something. I did not come for your money. I'll take it. Feel free. But no, my prayer this morning was not God help them give a great offering. My prayer this morning was God, would you choose one out of this congregation who will risk all for Jesus? Hallelujah. I came for you. All right, y'all quiet on me. Let me me change the the topic just a little bit. I got a few books out there that I've written. If you like missionary stories, you'll like them. If you don't, don't bother because you won't like one. This is brand new. It's a kid's book. It's called Mrs. McKenzie's Candle. This one here is Hungry Devils and Other Tales from Vanuatu. This one's the Sons of Cannibals. Each one's 50 missionary stories. And, and if you like missionary stories, like I said, you'll love them. We affectionately refer to these as the Pay Our Kids Way to College Fund. All right? And no, it's worked. I've had two kids go through college debt-free. I got a third. He's on his way. Junior year just finished debt-free. So praise God, it's working. If you guys buy enough copies of this book, Eli will be taken care of. All right? It's just, it's really simple. We were, we were doing a... Um, a church plant in a little village in South Tanna called Irrawongan. And they had me and about 20 pastors sleeping in this little shack. And the shack came equipped with rats. And the way it would work at night is is the, the rats would get up in the rafters above your head and they would fight. And then the loser would fall. And I don't know about you, but when a rat slaps the floor beside my head in the middle of the night, it wakes me up. And when I wake up, there's a particular room I need to visit. In this case, the room was an outhouse about 50 feet away from the shack. So I don't know how familiar you are with outhouses, but I'm going to give you three simple rules for them for when you come and visit me. Okay. Uh, The first rule of the outhouse is that you sing as you go. There is no door. You're not going to go knock on the door. If you're lucky, there's a curtain. Folks sometimes use that curtain when they forgot their toilet paper. We call it a weighted curtain. All right. So you you sing your song and if somebody joins you on the course you just turn around go back to the house and wait till they come out all right The the second thing is to exercise light discipline I know you like light I understand that trust me on this one okay Your flashlight is used to get you to the outhouse not for in the outhouse There are thousands of four inch cockroaches that live down there in that pit. If your light hits the hole, they come swarming up out of the abyss. Very difficult to sit down on that seat and relax. Guys, you just you get sensations in all that some of y'all are feeling those sensations right now. I no, it's it's not good. So so when you get to the outhouse, you turn off. The third thing is the prayer. Look. Missionaries are serious when we pray over our food and we are serious when we pray over our toilet seats. I have got it down to almost a mantra. I say, oh God, sanctify this toilet seat. It works. I am still alive. So I don't want to paint you too graphic of an image, okay? But I'm standing there in the door of the shack. It is pouring rain. I got my toilet paper tucked up underneath my arm because it loses some utility once it gets wet. I got my flashlight in my other hand. I, I, I make the dash through the rain. I'm singing my song. Nobody joins me on the song. So I assume the outhouse is empty. I turn off my flashlight, stick it between my teeth. Cause I need both hands free. Still got the toilet paper tucked up in there. You know, I'm backing past. This is not like you go in, turn around, sit. No, no, no. This is you, one smooth motion. The trousers come down as you back past the weighted curtain and you sit on. So I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm mumbling my prayer. Oh God sanctify this toilet over my flashlight and as I sit down on that wooden throne I feel something it's warm it's hairy it is all down the length of my thigh and if you want to know what is in the outhouse with me you're gonna have to buy a copy of the books No, I will not tell you which story the book is in. But if you said, Brian, I I came without money this morning. That's okay. Renee's out there. She'll take your plastic. All right. we will be in good shape. Hallelujah. Okay. You know, you ever, you ever pull up behind somebody at the, at the stoplight and the light is red and they got their phone out and they're doing this business here. Hmm. That's okay. Isn't it? As long as the lights red. But when the light turns green and their head's still down, then what do you do? You know, I just came back from French Polynesia. Did you know they don't honk there? They will not honk at the person in front of them. I'll, I'll tell you what I do. I, I, I talk to them. My wife says, they can't hear you. Huh? No, but I can't help myself. I say, you know, hey, you know, green means. Yeah. It's awful when somebody misses the signal. It is worse when the church misses the signal. I did a study of the 40 days from the resurrection of Jesus Christ to his ascension, and I found 32 distinct ways in which the church is commanded to go. Now, I'm not gonna give you all 32 this morning, but, but I wanna give you a few of them. That'd be all right? The, the first one is found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. You're familiar with this. It says, go, therefore, Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And behold, I am with you. Oh, well, I skipped some pieces, didn't I? Hallelujah. He said, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. If I were going to summarize the Great Commission into two words. I would simply say, go everywhere. I've had more than one scholar, more than one theologian pull me aside and say, Brian, you're actually misinterpreting this verse. Because the thrust of the verse is not on the going. The thrust of the verse is on the making of disciples. The word go is almost incidental to the making of disciples. Well, look, I'm with you. I believe in that. I believe in making disciples. But but did you notice where Jesus told us to make disciples? He told us to make disciples of all nations. And that's going to be pretty hard to do from Tulsa, Oklahoma. If we're going to make disciples of all nations, then somebody has got to go. Hallelujah. Yeah. So the going, the going is important. Can I, can I tell you the telling is important as well? You ever heard anybody say, preach the gospel if necessary, use words. All right sounds good, right? I mean, I understand where they're going with that. I mean, that, that you should live such a good Christian. Can I tell you that only works in a context where everybody already knows about Jesus. And, and I would argue you're, you're making an assumption that you can't even make in Tulsa. Hallelujah. Y'all are quiet. Hmm. Still waking up. Still needed that coffee, huh? Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. No, there's a story that needs to be told. This, this world needs to know, must know, that Jesus Christ is the son of God. That he was born of a virgin. That he, that he lived a sinless life. That he died in my Place that he rose again on the third day, that he ascended to the right hand of the Father. That right now, this morning, he is praying for you, and soon he's returning as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hallelujah! So, the going matters, the telling matters, but I would argue also that everywhere. Matters. I've had a pastor say to me, why should I support missions and do something on the far side of the world and and neglect the needs right here in my community? And the answer is you should not. As a church, we ought to have a local and a global vision. We can't neglect what's happening in Tulsa. We should do everything we can to win every person to Jesus Christ right here. And yet God calls us to the nations of the world. While back, Renee and I went to Kosherai. Y'all, y'all ever heard of Kosherai? Anybody ever been to Kosherai? Eli's been to Kosherai. Yeah. No, no, guys. Uh, it's, it's a little ways from here. To get to Kosherai, first you got to get to Honolulu. And when you leave Honolulu, then you got to go to Madril. And then when you fly from Madril, then you've got to go to Kwajalein. And then after you fly to Kwajalein, then you land in Kosrae. Kosrae is, is a postage stamp of an island. I believe the speed limit is 20 miles an hour. And you can circumvent the island in less than an hour. There are something like 6,000 Kosraeans in the entire world. Kosrae is so far from every other island. You're trying to figure out how on earth did the first Koshryans get there in the first place. But Renee and I went and we worshiped with them. And guess what? The same Holy Spirit that is here moving in our service today was moving in their service there. Why? Because to God everywhere matters. Hallelujah. Let me, let me give you another one right quick. John 20, 23. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He said, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Very simply, go forgiving. You know, um, when when, uh, I was a kid, I grew up in church. Let me clarify what I mean by that. We had church on Sunday morning. Sunday afternoon was the, CA service. We had church on Sunday night. We had Royal Rangers and Missionettes on Tuesday night. We had midweek service on Wednesday night. We had visitation on Thursday night. And then we had an evangelistic service on Saturday night. If we wanted to be spiritual, we added two nights to that routine and we called it revival. And we had revival at least four times a year. And sometimes they went for weeks at a time. My point is this, I heard thousands of sermons I never heard a preacher preach from this text. It just doesn't fit our theology. I don't know about you, I always assumed that uh, one of the translators was a closet Catholic, and he just slipped this verse in there to justify the confessional, right? I mean, what does it even mean? If we forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. Does that mean if I I get mad at my brother-in-law, I can say, sorry, bud, no more sins forgiven for you, huh? Mm. A few years back, I was in the Tibetan plateau and the Holy Spirit illuminated this passage for me. I I went up there because there's a a group of people known as the Pumi. And at that time, there was no Pumi language churches at all. And, and, And so I went up there to write about them in the hopes that when you read about them, the Holy Spirit would convict you and you would go and tell them about Jesus. It's a good theory. I, I like that. I like the theory. No, but, but I went up there and they, they took me into this little mountain valley. They lied to me. They said, I don't like altitude. They said, it's only about 1,500 feet, 14,500 feet in the floor of the valley. And they took me to this village and in this village, a log cabin. And they told me, they said, Brian, the same family has lived in this log cabin for the last 100 years. I mean, it's a log cabin, but it's got the red clay tile roof and it's got big double doors with symbols to ward off the evil spirits. And they, they open up those big double doors and I step in and the first row of rooms on each side are the hog pens. And, and I step into the, to the courtyard and there's a chicken comes at me this way and a goose comes at me that way. And there's a water Buffalo chewing his cud out there in the middle of the courtyard over on the left-hand side is this little Pumi lady, sticks her head out the kitchen, and then she and she welcomes us in. And, and I wish I could take you into that kitchen. I want you to imagine a room where an open pit fire has been burning continuously for a hundred years. Every surface is covered with smoke and creosote. I step through the doors, and, and on the right side is a, is a little bench. In front of that bench is a... It's like a coffee table. And then a little further out in front here is that open pit fire. Behind that fire is a shrine. and, And then over on the left, hanging in the smoke is shoulders and hams and sausages. And I sit down there. That bench and that little Pumi lady, she prepares me a plate of food. And as she's bringing it to me, she stops at that pit fire. And she drops some of that meat off in the fire in front of the shrine. And I asked her, I said, auntie, who are you offering these sacrifices to? She said, I'm, I'm offering them to the king of hell. Now, you, you can look up the king of hell in Tibetan Buddhism later, but, but I can describe him for you. He's a leering face. wears a crown of human skulls. He's depicted with a, with a bloodstained knife in one hand, a severed human head in the other, standing astride a human corpse and encircled in flames. They believe that he guards the entrance to hell. I said, auntie, why would you offer sacrifices to the king of hell? She said, well, I know there are other gods out there But they are too high for me. They cannot hear me. Only he can hear my prayers. And so I offer him sacrifices in the hopes that when I die and when I go to hell, he will be kind to me. I can't imagine a more bleak perspective of eternity. The truth, God is too high for her. And he's too high for me. And he's too high for you. That's why when our very best efforts at being righteous and good and holy fell miserably short. That God wrapped himself in flesh. And he walked among us. And he opened a door. An opportunity for relationship again. But somebody has got to go. And somebody has got to tell her this story. Oh, I, I am, I am deadly serious. One of you who is, who is, who's, who's well established and you're doing good in your job and your family's doing good. One of you is gonna have to go. One of you is gonna have to leave everything you know. You're gonna have to go and learn another language. You're gonna have to go and learn another culture. You're gonna have to go and sit down and drink cups of green tea till the conversation turns to Jesus. He said, Brian, if I, if I do that, Let's get serious here this morning. If I do that, if I resign my job, if I left my home, if I really did this, would she believe? And the answer is, I don't know. I don't know. But if she won't, one of her neighbors will. And then another one, and then another one, and then another one. And, 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 and before long, you'll have a, you'll have this little group of disciples and you'll begin to bring them together. And as you begin to bring them together, then, then, then they're going to do something. They're going to begin to write some songs and they're going to begin to sing. And you're going to sit there in that little house and you're going to listen to a language that has been used only to whisper prayers to the King of hell, be used to lift praises to the king of kings because the church of Jesus Christ it is militant, it is triumphant, it works everywhere, it's been tried Amen. Don't listen to me what is lacking here is not the power of the gospel what is lacking here is not the anointing power of the Holy Spirit to reach into people's lives and make them receptive to the gospel, what is lacking here is the go-er boy you guys are quiet John twenty. Uh, I didn't finish the story, did I? I got busy preaching. Didn't finish the story. I'm sitting, I'm sitting there and I, and, I, and I look at the back of her, the back of her kitchen. I see all these white dots on the wall. And um, and I ask her. I said, Auntie, what's, what's the meaning of these? She said, Well, it's our, our our tradition, Chinese New Year. Every person living in the home. They, they dip their thumb into white paint and they press it against the wall. Guys, there was, there was long skinny ovals and there was short fat ones, little bitty baby ones. There was ones that were crisp and clear. There were others that were so covered with creosote you could barely make out the outline. But as I, as I looked at those, the Holy Spirit illuminated this passage for me and he said, Brian, this is a genealogy of the unforgiven. These are the ones my church has withheld forgiveness from. You see, withholding forgiveness is not a matter of, 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 of. Punitively saying to someone, I don't want your sins forgiven. It's just that there's only one means whereby a person's sins can be forgiven. And that's by believing on Jesus Christ. And if they don't know about Jesus, and if we don't tell them, we are withholding forgiveness from them. All right, real quick, real quick. I'm going to give you one more. John 21, three. Simon Peter says to the other disciples, I am going fishing. I like that part. They said to him, we will go with you. The incredible thing about this story, Peter's in a moment of discouragement and he gives up. But the incredible thing about this story is the response of the other disciples. When he says, I am going fishing. I'm giving up on following Jesus. I'm going back to the family business. They said, we will go with you and in doing so they set a precedent that christians follow to this day we go together we go together that's what we're doing here this morning you ever heard anybody say i can worship god just as good in my living room so can i but i can't encourage my brother i can't encourage my sister. No, that's why you're here this morning. You're here because urged on by the Holy Spirit. Christians go together. You know, I heard pastor talk about your giving. You know, that's what we do. We do our tithes and our offerings and we give. And you know why we do that? Because there's some things that you look around and say, boy, I can't do that by myself. And, and you can't do that by yourself. But if we will go together in our giving, we can get it done. Do you know that's what missions is? When you're giving to to missions, you're you're not saying, well, bless that poor missionary's heart. I'm going to send them a little bit of money because I feel sorry for them. No, that money represents a segment of your time. And you are taking that and you're saying, God, I am going together with them for this amount of time. You know, one of the countries that I look after is the Solomon Islands. And um, if you know World War II history... World War II, the Japanese were rolling through the Pacific and no one could stop them until the US Navy landed the 1st Marine Division on a little island called Guadalcanal. They were t- told to, to take the field and to hold it. They recognized that to hold the field, they would have to hold the high ground above it. Today, that high ground is called Bloody Ridge. It's a ridge a couple of miles wide, no wider, sorry, a couple of miles long, no wider than this auditorium in many places. As a matter of fact, some places narrower. Those Marines were outnumbered 10 to one. They did not have adequate supplies. I've talked to one of the men who fought on that ridge. I've gone and stood in their foxholes because they're separated at great distance. I went and I stood in the very last foxhole on that ridge because in that foxhole were two men with a 50 caliber machine gun whose job was to create a wall of lead so that they could not, the, the Japanese could not go around them. Early in the fight, a Japanese soldier threw a hand grenade into that foxhole. It blinded one of the Marines, severed the thumb of the other. But for five hours, unrelieved, those two Marines held their position. The blind man firing the machine gun, the lame man telling him where to fire. Alone, neither one of them could have completed their mission, but together they changed the tide of a battle, the course of a war, the trajectory of history. And I'm telling you in missions, I cannot do it by myself. You cannot do it by yourself. But if you and I are willing to go together, we can change the eternal destiny of men and women and tribes you stand hallelujah holy spirit I ask you to sweep over this place I ask you to sweep over this place and God I pray you hear my prayer that there be one that there be one or two or more out of this congregation that you would call to the hard places that they would say hear my Lord send me I just believe this morning that the Holy spirit is dealing with some of your hearts. I believe that as I've shared, it's resonated. And you, you have felt your heart leap at the challenge of giving everything, risking everything for Jesus. If that's you this morning, I just want you to step out of that seat where you're at. I want you to meet me at this altar.